Rodney Delaney has relished a life in the theatre as a performer and director. The recent period has seen him provide the most essential of roles, that as dresser for artists and productions at Opera Australia. He is passionate about the arts, and in a conversation, one always manages to glean new knowledge, generous compliment, an analysis of a recent theatrical offering, and generally, some delicious showbiz news. Starting out in Brisbane, he was enamoured with the theatre from a young age, having walked past a theatre presenting Call Me Madam and starring the great Evie Hayes. He sensed something was different about this building and quickly established a rapport with the leading lady. Work in theatre and review allowed him an opportunity to learn the structure of a show and to read an audience. A chance meeting landed him in the touring production of The Sound of Music and a quick brush with the character of Rolf. A period working in television, working as a set dresser, gave him more skills before a career in directing for the stage came to the fore. Together with Matthew O'Sullivan, Betty Cheel and Lynn Porteous, he established The Actors' Company, the first serious attempt at a professional cooperative theatre in Sydney. The company staged their productions in various spaces in King's Cross and Paddington, ultimately finding a home in the Esme Hackett Memorial Hall in Ultimo. A diverse repertoire was presented, including Play It Again, Sam, A Taste of Honey, Look Back in Anger, The Foursome, The Caretaker and Naked Hamlet. The company lasted over four years, but was dismantled in 1979 after a production of The Glass Menagerie. He is a font of theatrical knowledge and great company. It is always a treat to hear about the many stages of Rodney Delaney. Well, welcome to the Wyndham Studios. <laughs> it's, it's lovely to have you here to chiefly talk about one of the greatest musicals ever written, a backstage story with an electric score crafted by a crew of some of the, the greatest practitioners in music theatre history. We're talking about Gypsy, of course. Yes. What makes Gypsy such a marvel of the canon? Everything you just said. Oh, okay. Those three people, uh, Jules Stein, Stephen Sondheim and, of course, Arthur Lawrence. Uh, because it is the greatest book, and people say it, the book would work without the music, and you go, no, 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 no. Arthur Lawrence always said it is all part and parcel, and it's true, it, because the the songs move it forward always. You just go, mm, no, the music adds an extra element, but also being a musical, it allows you to up the ante uh, emotionally, that in a straight play you'd need another page or three pages. What a song can do in three minutes, you'd need half an hour. Well, so why do characters sing in musicals? It's just that the emotional state of the scene becomes so high that there's no other way to express themselves than through song or dance. That's true. Yeah, yeah. That is true. So, so Lorenz obviously knows about the musical and, and, and well, could structure does. the book in that way. Yes. But, and um, it is beautifully structured because mm. it, you uh, also from the, the point of view of as hard as it is for Mama Rose, he's given her lovely breaks to prepare uh, for those big moments. Jules Stein, unfortunately, has created such big moments that you go, well, I'm glad Mr Lawrence has done uh, given you a bit of a break to lead into Rose's turn because she's off... Uh, what about three scenes, I think, before she does Rose's turn. The same as for um, uh, Everything's Coming Up Roses at the end of Act One. Uh, she's off for two scenes, uh, obviously having cups of tea or throat lozenges or whatever in the dressing room to prepare. And I always remember reading uh, that at the first preview of, uh, that uh, Jules Stein went backstage to Miss Merman's dressing room and she had her head between her knees and looked up and she said, you just do not know how hard this show is. Uh, Julie Stein, of course, it's, it's one of the most magnificent overtures I think I've ever heard for a musical. It, it you know, just, just setting is. the atmosphere and scene for it that is. show. It uh, is exciting. Which is an amalgamation of that great score. Yes, it is. Um, I don't know what else to say that you haven't said. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. And, and Sondheim, of course, I, before his career really took off, I think he'd done the lyrics for... Uh, for a West Side Story. West Side Story. Which is, I think, where that connection with Lawrence. Uh, and I think the only other time he did just lyrics only, I think, is... Do I Hear a Waltz? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is after the event. Um, but And it was because of Hammerstein. Uh, why he did Gypsy was uh, that Hammerstein said he would learn a lot in writing for a star uh, uh, so that it would be good training for him as much as he didn't want to do it. Uh just the lyrics which he wanted to do the whole lot. Uh, 
but and he was right, I suppose, because he did learn a lot, um, and he probably learned a lot from Jules Stein. Mm. I would think, because mm. uh, I mean, Jules Stein is masterful. Uh, when you think of some of the songs, I hadn't realised that he wrote Three Coins in a Fountain. Um, and you go, oh, Academy Award-winning song. Um, and, of course, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. When was the show written, do you know, Gypsy? Gypsy, it, uh, not quite sure when it was written, but certainly it opened on Broadway uh, 60 years ago on the 21st of May, 1959. Okay, had so already done uh, an out-of-town tryout by then. So it's 60 years old this year. Wow. So it's based on the memoir of stripper Gypsy Rose Lee. Yes. What, what is the show about? The show, uh, ultimately, it's, it's really got nothing to do with show business. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's that thing that she... It's, a back, or it's often called a backstage I musical, know, isn't it? But really, no? no. It's really... It's the story of all our lives. Parents that, and children? Yes. That it's... Um, what is it? There's this, uh, a quote. Um, our parents are responsible for us and ultimately we are responsible for our parents. Now, that's really the take-home message. Uh, it's just that it looks more attractive with a show-busy um, facade. But that is the take-home message. Uh, and that's what is so powerful, I think, about those last two scenes where the two women are confronting each other. And you go, well, haven't we all done that? Uh, at some stage of our lives, because of the difficulty of children with their parents and parents with their children. It's... Um, and it's, and it's uh, the thing that it's, it's called a musical fable because she made most of it up. It was an act, like she the strip act, it, uh, which is why June Havoc at first wouldn't uh, sign the release. So she's she's the sister of Gypsy Rose Lee, isn't she? The actress June Havoc. Yes. And the character of Dainty June is, yes, is, is June is, Havoc. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, June Havoc, who wrote uh, two books, uh, Cry Havoc and Early Havoc. Her autobiographies, yes. yeah. Uh, because she was so upset with what Gypsy had done. Uh, and Gypsy, uh, or I suppose, yes, Gypsy Louise, uh, Miss Hovick, um, her thing was, but this just is creates my legend. Uh, and it's like uh, with uh, when Arthur Lawrence said, but I'm more interested in your mother. Uh, she comes across much more interesting than your character. And she I don't care what you do with it. I made most of it up. You make whatever you want to up. The only thing I insist on is you call it Gypsy because that keeps me alive long after I've gone. But it's, all, it's also, Gypsy is also, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a, I know it's a synonym for the, the uh, travelling artist going yes. from show to yeah. show to show, yeah. the gypsy life. Yes. Um, so it, it has that double barrel meaning, doesn't it, it does. I think? Yeah. It does. Yeah. Um, I think it's a perfect title for it. And also because uh, one of the characters in the play actually uh, points out, uh, I think there was a line about, uh, we travelled like a group of gypsies. And she said, oh, uh, that wouldn't be a bad name. I think Tessie Chura says it to her, it would be a good name if you ever decided to be a stripper to which Mama, of course, said, of course she won't. Uh, and, of course, then she is. Uh, and it wasn't, in reality, it wasn't Mama pushing him, her to be a stripper, but it just makes good theatre. Uh, it was Gypsy's idea. She saw the, the opportunity and decided to do it. Uh, I mean, that's the terrible thing. Because you read so much to try and prepare for it, uh, and you just have to go, oh, yes, she did make most of this up, but uh, how good that she did... Uh, because it was just an act. It's like um, that song. You've got to have a gimmick. And the gimmick, uh, like she, no one ever saw her naked. Because I saw her when I was nine years old. At Gypsy Rose Lee. Mm, she she played came out to Australia, did she? Yes. Right. Uh, about 1954, I think it was, at the old Palladium, which was just near Haymarket. It no longer exists. I think it's uh, some Chinese building now. Uh, and I remember at the time, I always said, oh, we shouldn't take me clothes off. And I didn't realise, of course, that was the act. Um, of course, you never saw anything. How did you get to see a stripper at nine years old? My mother. Right. Uh, and my aunt. Because I used to go to the Theatre Royal in Brisbane, which was the last uh, bastion of vaudeville burlesque in Australia, and it was weekly uh, change. I went every Saturday night with my grandmother and my aunt um, and saw every change of bill. I saw all the great comics there. I can tell you what a great stripper looks like. Margot Clancy, who was fabulous. Australian. On a little turn. No, she was English. Right. She was Miss United Kingdom, I think, she, and she was married to Jackie Clancy. Uh, she was in Melbourne now. Uh, and she had an act where she used to be on a small turntable uh, because she couldn't move while she, boobies were exposed. And so she'd revolve around in a different pose all the time. Uh, there was Rosita, 
who had been quite good, and then she teamed up with a whipcracker who used to whip her clothes off her, and there were great welts where he missed uh, around her bazooms. Um, so certainly it was an occupation that did come with oh, a yes. gimmick. Many of it them did. had a You've gimmick. You always had to have a gimmick, yes. yes. Uh, and it's like... Um, uh, the fan dan- there was one a great woman whose gimmick was the fan dancing. Uh, there was another one uh, which people, other people had uh, adopted over the years. Uh, but her thing was the tassels and that she could get the tassels to go different ways uh, at the same time. Uh, or just one at a time. You go, <laughs> I wish I mean, people could see you doing that. Um, <laughs> but always uh, with, but with a this, touch of yeah. class, I imagine. Oh, yes. no, nothing was ever completely revealed. Who? With, with, with their the strippers, yes. Uh, most yes. of them did go down to at least pasties and a G-string. Right. And, I, and certainly uh, that's what uh, a lot of times what Gypsy Rosalie But never to. the full Monty. Never the full Monty, right. no. But also because you, once you had the... Well, there was the all sorts of laws, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't, uh, like it, you always had nudes, but they were uh, stationary. And in the original 1959 production, uh, there was a tribute to Christmas... Uh, and uh, <laughs> rather than the Garden of Eden scene, which is now there, because uh, in the, in 1959, Sandra Church didn't do the dialogue. It was just a musical thing, and she used to come out of a great big present. Um, but there was a great big Christmas tree, which had showgirls as the Chris, as the ornaments hanging up the tree because they had their breasts exposed. Wow. Uh, Sandra Church, of course, playing, playing the original... She's the original... Uh, Louise in yeah. Gypsy. Um, in my research, I found it fascinating that the, at the 1960 Tony Awards, mm. which were awarding yeah. uh, shows from the uh, 59 season, Gypsy was nominated for eight awards, but it didn't win anything. I know. And That's, it's it's one of the great... It, it was beaten by the bloody sound of music. And as she said, uh, Miss Merman said of her friend Mary Martin, how are you going to buck a nun? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of course, but, Mary Martin yeah, playing Maria yes. and winning the best actress. And that is award. the saddest thing, is everyone else that's played Brose has won a Guernsey, and poor old Ethel, who created it and played it more than anyone else has ever done, because she got 790-odd performances out of it. Everyone else has got 100, 200 performances. They've all won a Guernsey. Well, all, all of them actually except Bernadette Peters. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had the Broadway revivals were 74. Yes. Angela uh, Lansbury. Ange. Yeah. 1989. Is uh, Tyne Daly. Yes. 2003. Uh, Bernadette. Bernadette Peters. And 2008. Uh, is Patty Louise Lapone, whom we all adore. And they all won Tony, so yes. Best Actress, yes. except for, um, well, Merman yeah. and Bernadette Peters. Yeah. So it's, um, what, what is it about the role of Rose that garners such accolades for the actress? I mean, the critic Frank Rich once said that it's Broadway's answer to King Lear. Well, it is. Hmm. It is. I'd be quite, and I think it allows... Every emotion from A through Z. Uh, and that's uh, within the, uh, Arthur Lawrence's script and also Jules Stein and Stephen Sondheim's uh, score. Uh, it just it just has everything in it. It's, uh, uh, and it's, um, it is just such a great, 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 great role. And, and it attracts all those great artists. And then that recent West End revival with, with Imelda Staunton, Staunton, which is rumoured to be going to Broadway. Um, um, yes, that's right, it is. Yeah, she yeah. won the Olivier yeah. Award for Best Actress. Um, and, um, it's, and one didn't realise she had those Broadway chops no. uh, because we'd only ever seen her as quirky little village people in no. all those films, or Vera Drake. Uh, and Linda Lavin took over from Tyne yes. Daly, of course. Yes, and, um, indeed. Great. What are some of the productions of Gypsy that were seen in Australia? Uh, the first one I saw was at the Menzies Hotel, uh, directed by John Ewing, uh, which would have been the Australian premiere, a slightly cut-down version. So was that uh, before the Gloria Dawn production? Yes. Right, uh, OK. Starring so. Leslie Baker, who uh, had been Smithy in the original Australian production of How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, had uh, a television program on Channel 9. She was Australian or an American that came uh, out? Australian. Australian. Oh, 23 years old, playing Mother Rose. Really? Yes. Fantastic. Uh, just phenomenal. And uh, Phil Jay was in it. Um, Maggie Gray, I think, was in it. Um, but, and it, I remember at the time, I thought, dear God, because it was dinner theatre. And I thought, this is really hard to eat your chicken. Uh, <laughs> by the time you get into the drama of the second act, you go, oh, darling, this is not easy work here. Um, but it was fabulous to see it. And, and one never ever thought we were ever going to see uh, a full production until Williamson's did the, uh, 
the production virtually that Arthur Lawrence had created for Angela Lansbury in London is what then Williamson's did with Barry Ingham, who'd played Herbie opposite Lansbury, came out and directed uh, the production that Gloria was in. And then, of course, unfortunately, Gloria was so ill that people in the cast couldn't work out how six weeks after she'd had an operation, uh, because she had cancer, she could drag herself around on the scenery and get through that show. It's amazing what you can do. But she, she then, and it must be the first time it ever happened in this country, uh, that uh, she shared the role with uh, the wonderful Tony Lamond. And so Gloria did five a week, I think, by the time they got to... Uh, to Sydney and Tony did three and I must admit it's got one of the most exciting days in the theatre was because uh, the timing was everything uh, uh, when Gail Esler uh, Geraldine Morrow's sister who had been taken over as Liesl in Sound of Music not Geraldine Morrow but uh, Gail and by then was a stage manager and she made the announcement at the beginning of this matinee performance uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Gloria Dawn will not appear at this afternoon's uh, performance. Uh, and you heard the speaker over from the audience, and straight into instead the role of Mama Rose will be played by Miss Tony Lamont. Bom, 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 bom. And you go, yes, you've got to go straight into that, and the roar, because you go, yes, it's the first time ever a star replaced a star. Yeah. Uh, Gee, I wish I'd seen Gloria Dawn. She oh, she, she must was. have been a phenomenal talent. Yeah. I mean, and doing everything from a hard god, those dramatic oh. roles. She played Mother Courage at the yes, MTC, yes. and then, then to do those great musicals. Because she was the only one who was ever allowed to make the transitions. Um, yes, a lot of people are just pigeonholed as musical yes, theatre performers yes. or, or actresses, but yes. she she and she did Variety yes, and and, and came right. out of vaudeville. Yeah. See, like Jan Adele was never allowed, and yet. Uh, when one thinks of Jan Adele's career, Jan Adele, because uh, I saw her play Mama Rose at Rockdale, uh, fabulous, fabulous. Uh, I always thought she was one of the better. Which is a community theatre, isn't it? Yes. But I guess, you know, if you have the opportunity to play yes. a role like Mama Rose, yes. you're yes. going to grab it. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, and, uh, and Frank Hathley, who was the director, was a, was a great director. Uh, and I think that's why he got all these pros to go and do things uh, at Rockdale. Uh, but... Uh, Jan's career, uh, she did one straight play, uh, The Seahorse. She won a Guernsey for that. Uh, she did one movie. She played Judy Davis's mother in, oh, I forget what it's called now, uh, Old Age. See, so never let it happen to you as a woman. Oh, I remember as sort of a, a brawling, sort of drunken caddy, a little oh, cameo right, yes. role, yeah, in the Ladies' Lounge. But yes. she won Guernsey's for, for things, but she was never, she was still always regarded as just, a variety performer. Yeah. You go, no, no, no. If you're a great variety performer, then you'll be able to do the other things. Yeah. Um, it's like a great singer will always be a great actor or actress, I think. Because yeah. uh, you can't be great at anything unless you really do the whole lot. I believe there was a legendary production in Queensland with June Salter. I saw that. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen them all. It's uh, yes, it was. But but there again, you wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, I'm surprised to hear that June Salter, yeah. yes, would be doing a musical. Yeah. It's uh, oh, and she's she, a bass baritone. Yeah. Well, she was in Sound of Music, uh, but she didn't sing. Uh, but um, but certainly, uh, she was just. She just didn't have. You need broad. Uh, it's a terrible statement, isn't it? But you need Broadway chops. Uh, to pull off that music because it's written because it's written for the greatest loudest voice that ever, God ever put on this earth or a Broadway stage um, then and with uh, all those tricks that, uh, that Miss Merman did like the eight bar hold and things uh, unfortunately you can't go away from that you can't decide oh no I don't need a great singer I, uh, you go no you do and you need a great singer who just also happens to be a great actress uh, and a great comedian because uh, you can't just play it uh, straight through dr dramatic because then we'll turn off. There are a lot of laughs in it. Uh, because any, any great drama will give you lots of laughs so that you're ready to be assaulted by the drama. It's, uh, and I, well, I, it goes back to Shakespeare, it doesn't does, it, with the yeah. gravedigger in Hamlet yes, and um, the porter in Macbeth yes. or the Scottish play. Yes. Oh, oh there we go. Hang that? on. No. Oh, 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 oh. 
<laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Can I come back in? <laughs> um, the production company have done it a couple of times also. Yes, because yeah, I think Miss Connelly did it Judy the first Canale, time, directed yeah. by Nancy Hayes, I right, think. Right, okay. Uh, and then the second time, which I saw with Carolyn O'Connor uh, and uh, directed by Gail Edwards, which, because of my love of the show, and I think it was my... Was it my birthday? I can't remember. But uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, Frank Garfield, flew me down and put me up at the Windsor. So it must have been a birthday. And put me up at the Windsor. Uh, uh, I think Frank was in it too, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's right. I uh, played play pop and a couple of other bits and pieces. But uh, You ain't getting 88 cents out of so, me, Rose. Yes, trivia, trivia, trivia. trivia. What? On the LP with Merman, yes. who does that role? Probably who? Stephen Sondheim. Oh, you're, yeah, you're very good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you that was a guess. That you was get guess. the cash prize. And I thought, no, you're trying to trick me. No, <laughs> so I thought, no, I think I have read something about that. Mm. Uh, but uh, And then most recently at the Hayes with, uh, with Lazy, Lazy Best. Best mm. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, a phenomenal performer. Uh, you see, it attracts the best, best, best talent, yeah. I think. So it's, it's, we've seen it a few yeah. times in Australia. And now... Let's let's come back and talk right. about uh, Gypsy a little bit later. Let's talk All about right. you now. <gasps> yes. How oh, ugly, Cliff. Do you want another steak? <laughs> How ugly, Cliff. Isn't that terrible? We have used that statement uh, ever since Anne Phelan played in Cabaret because it's uh, one of the lines from Cabaret. What's the statement again? How ugly, Cliff. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so anyway. do, do you recall the first live performance you saw? The first live performance I saw that I can remember is watching Roy Breen at the Old Cremorne Theatre in Brisbane, Brisbane on the uh, the OP side of the theatre. Um, and him spitting. That thing. Uh, that that Mo McCackie sort yes, of and, uh, that Strike me lucky! For um, projection, so many yep. people, of course, spit goes with it. Yes. And my mother was always horrified uh, that he spat everywhere. Uh, now, I remember nothing about him. I just go, but aren't I lucky? I saw Roy Breen. Somewhere in the recesses of my mind, it's there. It's, uh, it's the same as having seen uh, Gypsy Rosalie at the Palladium. You go, yes, it's, it's in there. Um, so that per- first performance, did it plant a seed? Did it hook you? Did, did the bug bite? No. The, no? The, first, the thing that really, really got me going was I was nine years old. Somehow or other, I conned my father into taking me to see La Boheme at Her Majesty's Theatre because I always knew there was a uh, in Brisbane Queen Street had all the cinemas and you'd pass Her Majesty's Theatre and you went there's a different smell coming out of this cinema <laughs> to the others and once I got in there I, re- I realised what it was of course it was live theatre and, and more importantly than La Boheme uh, I, I don't know how I got my father to take but anyway, he did. Uh, and he must have been absolutely bored beyond belief because he was into Randolph Scott and Charles Starrett uh, and all those things. But next on the, on the agenda at that theatre was Call Me Madam with the wonderful Evie Hayes. Well, baby, once I saw that, I was smitten. And I saw it... I, uh, it was there for four weeks, so I saw it eight times. Wow. I saw most things that came to Brisbane then eight times. But even, uh, I mean, Call Me Matter, it's a great show, yeah. but it's very, uh, you know, it's not a universal book, I don't think. It's it's very American politics oh, of is. the time. And, and, but it's and a star all that performance, sort of baby. Then that's, uh, what, that's what hooked yes. you. Yeah, yeah. And you go, oh. And that great Irving Berlin yes. score. Yeah. Once again, yeah. yes. Um, and she was just breathtaking. I then found a way of sneaking up. There was a staircase uh, at the front that went up to the the top of the gods sort of thing where the tray boys all went and I found that if you went up there there was a curtain and you could have a bit of a peek at the show and if you heard anyone coming you'd go oh and run back down the stairs the boldness of a nine year old child darling uh, and I got very friendly with the ushers there and because there used to be um, three price structure uh, and the cheapest price was seven and six which was the dearest price to go to the cinema and uh, those, those were the days. It wasn't just one price. And the back row of the stalls was the seven and sixpenny. But those lovely usherettes all took pity on this poor little nine-year-old. Were you and going was, along as yourself or yes. were you dragging Dad along? No, 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 no. No, on my own. Uh, once I found it, that was it. Uh, oh. And somehow I conned the money out of them uh, to go. And they'd uh, put me down in the 21 and six seats. 
oh, that, right. were, that weren't where there was a spare one. Yeah. Uh, and I did that for years with most of the shows. Uh, it's the only way I could afford to go so many times. And I, I now feel so sorry for, for people like me who are smitten. How do you afford a hundred odd dollars to go uh, if you're that passionate? And you've got to be that passionate to then follow it as a career. I think. Oh, absolutely. It's, you've got to be so uh, hungry. You've got to want yes. it more than anything. Um, I was going to ask you, did you have a, a misspent youth listening to cast recordings, but it sounds like you spent the whole time in, in live theatres. Oh, I did. Yeah. I did. And I met Miss Hayes. Uh, I... Nancy? No. No. Oh, Evie. Evie. Sorry. Evie. Oh, there's a, uh, we've got a couple of Miss Hayes. I just love her. Yeah. Um, and she, she would have been a great rose. Yes, she would have. Yeah. And she always wanted to play it. Did she, right? And, cause she, once she found that she was... Uh, had success with Annie Get Your Gun and Call Me Madam, then she went... Oh, those oh, moment shows. Oh, and yeah. she wanted to do Happy Hunting, because I've got a thing in one of my old scrapbooks from... Did she ever Charlie. do Anything Goes? She might have in America, because she did go back over to America to do a road tour of Call Me Madam. Uh, but uh, I... Uh, there was... Um, I made a doll... Uh, just a doll and gave it to her. God, the things you do when you're a child. She was so embarrassing. Um, but but she, she... I'm sure she was... Very touched by well, she was, that it? passion. Um, and because it was the, my, my favourite scene, uh, which is where she's preparing to meet the uh, the, uh, the Duke and Duchess uh, of Lichtenberg and she falls on a bum. Uh, and I mean, it's just a, a crossover scene, but it's so funny. Um, and there was a place near where my mother worked uh, as the manager of Coffee Lounge, uh, and it was um, oh, some fabulous couturier, and there was all this uh, excess material that was always in uh, the bins out in the lane, Burnett's Lane, I think it was called, uh, and uh, so I got, I just happened to have material that looked just like the frock, and I got a feather, because she had, used to wear a feather up there, uh, and I gave it to her, I mean, she probably threw it out immediately, but... <laughs> I, I suspect Evie Hayes is the first of many, but yes. who were some of your favourite leading ladies? That you've seen. Jill Perry person. Um, Perryman. Yes, Jill Perryman. I thought yeah. we had to sort of go, when uh, you weren't allowed, uh, when all that male-female thing came in and I started calling her Jill Perry person then. Uh, Political correctness. Because, I see, I remember, I first met her when she was in uh, Call Me Madam. Because she was understudy to Evie Hayes. Oh, did she have a role as well in yeah, that? She show? was her secretary. Right. And if you get the, uh, and you, one should have known she was always going to be a star because in the souvenir program, which someone gave me just recently, I didn't realise there was one, uh, there's a photograph of all the, uh, the people at Lichtenberg. And where is she? Dead centre of the stage, standing out like, uh, uh, more, like oh, just amazing. I always knew she was a star because she would always come down and sign autographs and all that. And I was so embarrassed because my mother wouldn't let me get a, a fresh book uh, for the for, a for her autograph. So I had to uh, have an old school book which had crapola everywhere. And you go, oh, which place? But then when I read her uh, biography that someone wrote, I thought, oh, I knew she was a star because I, what I always remember she was in a mink coat when she'd come downstairs. Uh, to do that, and the mink hat. And, of course, now one realises, having read the biography, that it was full summer in Brisbane. You go, she really was a star, darling, <laughs> a private sauna. Uh, Have you still got the autograph? I, no, isn't it funny? I have no... I, I got rid of that book. I was so embarrassed. I've only right. got the books uh, that followed where I was allowed to actually uh, have a brand-new book to, to, and I've got two of them. Uh, it's the history of Australian theatre there in two. Uh, the, the autographs are extraordinary. Gladys Moncrief, uh, Millie Hansen, uh, Queenie Paul, George Wallace uh, Senior, George Wallace Junior, Doris Wimp. Uh, people from the Theatre Royal. Doris yeah. Wimp was the choreographer right. uh, at the Theatre Royal. Sorry, yes, I've gone on a tangent. No, I love it. Uh, so, so you were born in Brisbane, Brisbane grew up yes. in Brisbane. Um, was it a theatrical, much of a theatrical influence in the family? Anyone? My aunt was a performer, a singer. Uh, my auntie Mames, I always called her. Is it uh, Aunt Sylvia? Yes. 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 Oh, God. You know everything. Uh, <laughs> what am I telling you? Uh, and my uncle, uh, her brother, was a country and western singer. I suppose Syl did introduce me to the. Because uh, we. Uh, we're in a concert party, or various concert party, Margaret Loon's Sunshine Trip, uh, and Doreen... I can remember those things. I can't remember more important things. Doreen Thomas's whatever she ran. 
and you'd perform wherever there was captive audience. Goodner, the mental asylum, uh, <laughs> Bogger Road, the jail, anywhere that they couldn't get away from you. Uh, so, And I used to be part of the comedy team uh, uh, and doing opening numbers and things like that. How old were you at this age? Probably about 11. Right. I used to tell mum I was going somewhere else because Sylvia would have the costumes because mum never wanted me to be with Sylvia. Was Sylvia your mother's sister? No, my father's. Father's sister, right. Uh, and so there was... Um, right. And like all Auntie Mames, because I now understand, yes, they're all bad influences and that's why we love them so much because <laughs> they allow us to do things that our parents won't allow us to do. Yeah. So, of course, we were besotted. Um, and so I did performing with her and then, of course, I found um, Her Majesty's and fell in love with all that. Then I found the Albert Hall, which no longer exists in Brisbane, which is where uh, the Brisbane Repertory, Twelfth Night Theatre and Brisbane Arts Theatre, Villanova players and Epworth players and various other people played. And I found out, more importantly, that you could join these groups. And I, I always... I, it was that thing that... The difference between Albert Hall and Her Majesty's was at Her Majesty's, everyone, including right down to the maid, knew what they were doing on that stage. At Albert Hall, not everyone, and not necessarily the leads knew what they were doing. Sometimes it would be the lesser characters. Uh, I now realise that's because that's the difference between getting paid for it and doing it as a hobby. Uh, But I saw some really great performances there. I mean, uh, a wonderful Brisbane actress called Betty Ross, who played uh, one of the great Blanche Dubois. Uh, And there was an image I have of her that uh, when she smashes a bottle... And obviously, they didn't realise you could go for special bottles uh, made of sugar ice. Oh, uh, they had a real bottle. Real one. And she had a white frock on oh. and it cut her hand oh. and bleeding blood everywhere. Did she stop? No, it just kept on going. Uh, and she played a lot of great roles uh, up there, uh, including Prince and the Showgirl, which uh, Stephen Prince, um, Dialing for Murder. And I just thought she was phenomenal. Uh, uh, Rhoda Felgate, who ran Twelfth Night Theatre, uh, and I saw her final performance when she did I Remember Mama. The fabulous Babette Stevens, who uh, people of certain vintage would remember from... There was a television program, I've Got a Secret, and I think it was national. And, I mean, she was like a, a battleship in full sail. She was grand beyond belief. And I saw her do... She was a great director and she ran the repertory theatre with an iron fist. Um, And she did a great production of Diary of Anne Frank, which was on for five performances, and I saw it four times because it was just mind-blowing. And repertory, of all the groups, it was the proest of of all of them. Uh, And Judas Arthur, he then went on to a career in England uh, and was in the original production of One Day of the Year in Australia, I think, and then went to England. Well, it sounds like you're being exposed to a lot of great repertoire at a young age and that that passion's really being pumped. What what took you out of Brisbane? (laughs) I mean, surely you get get to a stage, don't you, where you say, I have to do something about this hobby, this this passion of mine. Did you want to join the professional theatre? I did, but not necessarily as a performer. It's really strange. I just wanted to be part of it because uh, a, a very close friend of mine and I, the person that I always say allowed me to find my way as a director because she had such a great talent as an actress, uh, a friend of mine, Diana O'Connor, uh, she uh, was working at a hotel, and uh, the Exchange Hotel, and they allowed us to do a comedy act. This is in Brisbane still. In Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, and so we uh, used to appear there every Friday and Saturday. <laughs> Comedy duo. Uh, I mean, all that uh, hyperbole that goes with flogging you in the ads. And I've still got the ads in my scrapbook. You go, oh, how embarrassing. Uh, international, uh, interstate comedy duo. and mm, Brisbane's uh, Noel Coward and Gertrude Lawrence. And we were doing <laughs> Mavis Bramston type sketches. Yep. Yep. Uh, Review. And I, I, I always say that that was mine in a way like a nighter because um, I learnt there that Whereas on stage you could throw a gag out and you knew someone was going to catch it. But at the Exchange Hotel, the audience was divided into three. I think one section was free of charge, one section you paid, 
and I forget what the other section was, but suddenly I learned how to, oh, you might be paying, darling, but do not laugh, and I'll throw it over here, yeah. and then that will sweep around the room. Uh, and so that was really valuable, and we became very successful. Isn't that stupid? Uh, and so much so that one of the leading hotels wanted us to go and do three nights a week there, but they wanted us for £10 a, a, uh, a week. And I went, excuse me, it costs more than that for Miss O'Connor to get her hair done for each show. <laughs> uh, so we, and no one could believe that we turned down the National Hotel or something. Um, and out of that, yes, uh, then it was... That was all, the only way you could work professionally in Brisbane. And I'd been... As, um, I, I did reviews up there myself, uh, directing and performing, because uh, it was a, a medium that I liked in review and suited me. Um, and there was one that we did on the side, and there was one, one performance where there was only one man in the audience, which is why that theory of if there's more in the cast than the audience, don't do it. You go, I'm here to tell you that that one man, Mr Rush... Uh, is the reason I got into the profession because uh, uh, being a review where you have those uh, introductions sometimes, oh, ladies and gentlemen, in this, well, we instead we thought you can't say ladies and gentlemen, there are no ladies, so we found out his name. And then at, uh, with each of those introductions, we say, Mr. Rush, in this scene, well, he had the job when Sound of Music came to town with Rene Gurren, uh, he'd been Mary Martin's understudy playing Maria because she'd replaced. Uh, the woman who'd replaced June Bronhill uh, oh, I forget what her name is old age is terrible though you know, trivia like that used to drip from me but I can't anymore uh, uh, I don't know how he got in contact with me because we didn't have a phone but he contacted me about going in to Sound of Music and as a performer as a performer yeah. and so I was a skinny Nazi and a skinny ballroom dancer <laughs> Uh, in that, and but what? And John Howard Davies, who was the stage manager, who'd been the original Oliver opposite Alec Guinness in the film Oliver Twist, uh, but he'd obviously was under the impression that I would be a cover for Rolf. And I don't know, no, no, I can't sing. Uh, but by then, they'd already offered me a gig doing that, uh, and but so they had to get someone else to do the covering. <laughs> it's. Um, and that is the worst decision I ever made in my life, really, because then the boy playing Rolf got ill a week in, and John Domit, uh, who was Friedrich and cover, uh, became the cover for him, took over and did the rest of the Australian tour. But no, worse than that, I could never have done it, because his entrance was, forget the singing, forget the dancing, the first entrance was on a bicycle, and it was uh, uh, just a front of cloth scene, while they're changing the thing. You go, no, 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 I would have gone straight to the orchestra pit. <laughs> and also, these legs in Lederhausen, you go, no. Yes, yes, perhaps not, perhaps not. No. Uh, so when did the career as a director take off? You were Well, it was in Brisbane. In Brisbane? I, yes, because yeah. I, um, Arts Theatre used to have a sign-up. Uh, if you want to direct uh, a workshop production, put your name here. So I did. And each time I went back to the club room, someone just scratched my name out, so... I mean, one so bold as a child, you go, oh, that funny? So I broke the name there again. <laughs> it would always be scratched out. <laughs> and, um, and then finally, uh, my mother took, a, like a mother the rose, said, oh, I, I went uh, to Sunday school with Jack Hollingsworth, who was in charge of work. She said, we'll go and see him. And, he's, and so he pointed out, he said, but Rodney, people like Betty Ross aren't going to want to take direction from a person your age. And I went, well, I wouldn't use people like Betty Russ, I'll use younger people. It's um, And so I did get to do, I did Baby Doll, or 27 Wagons Full of Cotton, with my friend Diana. Tennessee Williams. Uh, yes. Mm. Uh, and also a production, a play by Tad Mazel uh, called Impromptu, uh, which the saddest thing about that, that was when I was doing Sound of Music and I never got to see it. Um, and Sylvia, my aunt, uh, used to come and tell me because she worked back on as stage manager and doing sound effects. And, and she always came back saying, oh, darling, it's fabulous, fabulous. And you go, mm, I'd like to have seen to see how bad it was or what I needed to fix. Um, and also um, that mum put invested in me doing reviews, uh, which I suppose is where I learnt about structure. 
And poor... Oh, I was about to swear a bit. Uh, poor, uh, poor person. <laughs> she, she lost so much money. Um, because... And she was a great businesswoman, but she didn't realise that... Handle the business side, because we never ever played to many people, but I love pl- doing it. So we do... Friday and Saturday, three performances, uh, five and uh, eight on a Saturday, playing to one, three, 20. Uh, so she never got her money back, but uh, she would give in to me about the costumes happening to be breathtaking uh, and all the props. Uh, the standards for production values has always been fairly high. Uh, and uh, and I did, oh, probably about six reviews, Um I, I think I did the first review in Brisbane, and I don't know. I mean, also, is that thing of. You, I now realise that I obviously had something to offer because I've seen it in other people. When you can con the world and get some of the top performers in Brisbane to come into a review at St George's Hall, because uh, St George's players were lovely, they treated me with a little bit of respect that the other groups didn't. So, of course, you go, oh, I'll, I'll go back there. But as, as I say, it, it allowed me to learn about structure. structure yeah. Uh, that you can't just put all that there uh, and hope for the best. You, uh, yeah. So. Uh, uh, look, I'm I'm really so. keen to learn about the Actors Company because ah. you were in Sydney in yes. 1974, I think, and and you founded this uh, an ensemble company. Is it yes, a, it's a, a well, repertory it was company founded with Matt O'Sullivan. Uh, in fact, Matt. Supplied or Matthew O'Sullivan to be correct. Uh, he supplied the two thousand dollars. Isn't it ridiculous to think you could start a company with two thousand dollars? <laughs> Try and do it today. Uh, I don't know how people do it. Um, but we had just gone to see uh, a friend of ours, Betty Cheel, playing Killing of Sister George, and we were all sitting around drinking. Uh, and as you do when you're drinking, um, or going, oh, it's terrible what's happening to Australian theatre. Well, what was the state of play in Australia when you at this time, 1974? 1974. Mm. The STC hadn't started, no, of course. No, no. Uh, you had the old toad. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the independent, the ensemble. Um, new theatre was very big uh, because uh, uh, any time a professional was out of work, they would go and work there. And you had little companies starting up, um, like the Actors' Company, and, and it was that we'd gone and seen this and, and we were all moaning about how expensive theatre had got, that you were paying $2 for a <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds Little ludicrous. did you know. It sounds ludicrous now, doesn't it? Mm. But it's... Um, and we... Uh, Matthew pointed out that Nimrod had just moved from Nimrod over to uh, where Belvoir is now and that they were hiring out the theatre for $30 a week, including the toilet paper. <laughs> Major. And so we thought, well, we could do um, do a couple of plays. <laughs> Why not? Uh, and have it reasonably priced uh, so that people could afford. And so it must have been, I think, the theatre must have gone up to about $5 or something, so not $2, because I think we were only charging about $2. Um, and so we decided that uh, we would do a production of what we called A Season of Anger uh, by reviving Look Back in Anger, which no one had seen in years, um, and uh, also Taste of Honey, because... Um, see. Uh, See, uh, Look Back in Anger was uh, that Matthew had always wanted to play, you know, what's-his-face, uh, oh, I forget the leading character's name, and I'd been offered and turned down or hadn't been able to do uh, A Taste of Honey to play Jeffrey, uh, the homosexual and that. And so we decided we'd do them uh, in repertoire, which is what the, the whole format of the actors company was that you would do two nights of one play followed by two nights of the other followed by so you always had the freshness of an opening night all that adrenaline and you had the the, the one company of actors that would yes. be doing and that. you uh, if you were only in one play like I was only in I directed Look Back in Anger and Matt directed Taste of Honey Betty Cheel was only in Taste of Honey um, and she, so she worked front of house on Anger Nights and uh, Lynn Porteous, who was only in anger, worked front of house on Taste of Honey Nights. Uh, so it was totally... Um, it's very uh, similar. I mean, I've heard stories about the Steppenwolf Company in Chicago right, yes. starting. Yeah. And uh, with John Malkovic and... Um, I've 
So I'm glad Ga- Gary, Gary Sinise yes. and Laurie Metcalf. Yes. And um, they would all take different turns yeah. of doing front of house yeah. or directing yeah. or designing yeah. or performing, yeah. you know, um, which and is a great way to do it. It is a great way to do it. It's sort of, uh, and also it was the thing that uh, we decided uh, that the set and the costumes weren't, well, they were important, but you could actually, those two plays, you could use virtually the same set. So the, uh, the, an artist came in and painted the walls of uh, the Nimrod or the stables or, as it was called, the loft. It's had various names. Um, uh, like a... Uh, uh, because of uh, Salford in uh, Taste of Honey, so you had this small townish thing on the walls. Uh, and we did things which surprised people. I suppose this is that production value thing again. Uh, was that... Um, we had a stove that actually operated. Uh, now, all those little companies that were doing plays were thinking, oh, we'll do a play and someone will come with a contract. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen, darling. It does not happen. So we had a, uh, a gas stove that we could actually cook on. People went, how have they done it? And you got a gas bottle down the bottom. Uh, we had a sink that had running water. How did they do it? Realism. Uh, and you go, no sense doing it unless you're going to do it as if you've got all the money in the world. And my thing has always been you never let people... You've always got to let, let, make people think you've had a fortune to spend on things. Well, theatre's an illusion, isn't it? It is. Smoke and mirrors. Yeah, yeah. Absolute smoke and mirrors. Mm. Um, and I, so it, both the, play, the set suited both plays. A friend of Betty's, who was a dressmaker, who then did a lot of stuff for the actors' company, she made all the fabulous things that Betty wore uh, as the the mother in um, Taste of Honey. And I, what I always loved was uh, John Cuff, who was actually coming out of retirement to play Geraldine's father in uh, Gypsy, because he lives down in Canberra now, hasn't been on stage for 15 years, 80 years old, gone, no, yes, darling, I'll do. Uh, he, um, he played the father of Alison in Look Back in Anger, all very pucker, and then the one-eyed boyfriend, uh, uh, drunk, in Taste of Honey, but in the same suit. And yet on Look Back and Anger Nights, it was fabulous, uh, looked totally dishevelled on the other nights, but he also used to sprinkle booze oh, on, right. on Taste of Honey. It's the way you wear your costume. It is, yeah. it is. So where did you perform? You talk about Nimrod, but I understand you found a home uh, at the Esme Hackett Memorial, Memorial Hall. Hall in Ultimo. Know everything. Yes, we from there we went to uh, where they have the Paddington markets, and then we went to uh, we opened the downstairs theatre at Seymour uh, because they uh, John Young, who was in charge at the time, uh, thought that we would be very good as a sort of permanent company there. Uh, but of course, we just couldn't afford it. He hadn't thought it through. We hadn't thought it through. Right. And on the prices we were charging, we couldn't afford to stay there. And then Sonia uh, Gidley King, uh, who was our publicity officer, she found the Esme Hackett Memorial Hall because we had a there was a place we had opposite the Esme Hackett Memorial Hall that we got to a stage where because we'd only ever decided to do one production. I mean, we never really decided to be this ongoing thing. Because you ran for about five years. Didn't we you? did. Yeah, I know. It's very. It takes a lot of effort because uh, because there was one stage in our was it our our second year no first year second year uh, where we had two plays uh, we had Hamlet on down at Bondi Pavilion we had two plays on uh, Promenade All and Desire Under the Elms at the Esme Hackett Memorial Hall. who was Esme Hackett I don't know some grand lady of Ultimo I think that they <laughs> named the hall after. Uh, it's no, no longer there. Pulled down, it's right. high rise. Uh, and uh, she, and I think we had about five productions. She go, but these are people all doing it. I mean, sure, out of town, everyone was getting salaries, but we people in town were still uh, doing it on the smell of an oil rag. And it's be- it becomes your whole life. I well, guess. It does. Yes. And I think it's and only so bit, long. Yeah, so long you can do that. We've uh, all burned and also out. because um, actors don't quite understand or don't do math, and they think because you've been going X number of years, then you should be paying proper salaries. Yeah. But not if you're not getting enough through the door. Now, the only way we survived is we always made sure we did a school syllabus play. Great. Because uh, that was the money. Yeah. So you could do one wank and one 
for the money. Yeah. Uh, so, like, when we did Golden Pathway Annual, which no one wanted to see, but it allowed us to go out on the first tour for the Arts Council, we did The Caretaker in tandem with that. Uh, the Caretaker made the money, uh, and that allowed all, everyone to get... Not I guess full it's salaries. I guess it's hard to retain actors also with the lure of other professional yes, work happening, yes. etc. A better offer yes. might come up, etc. That's so how I always saw the company. That yeah. uh, people yeah, come and go. Yes. Yeah. Um, see, I'm, I hate these little. Co- hate is a strong word, really. Dislike. I dislike. I'm not I, a ju- fan I of. just wish uh, <laughs> these little cooperatives that start up would be, have more a more American point of view. Put it on hoping it will be your pension fund. Because once it's up and running, if someone gets a gig elsewhere, isn't that wonderful for full yep. salary? There's always another hungry actor who can come in into an extinct production and replace someone. But no, everyone wants to put it on for three weeks, ten days. You get, darling, ten days you've got to pre-sell it. Because I always say that in Sydney it takes five weeks for word of mouth to get around. Absolutely. Because uh, uh, Tuesday night you've got Macrame, Wednesday night you've got the tennis club, then you've got the girls' night or the boys' night, and you go, by the time you've decided, oh, we can fit it in there, the seasons are all gone. The only people making any money are the landlords. And I've always thought that, you no, know, you should put it on, hoping to God it runs for years. Because uh, there is always something that can replace you. You don't lose anything. As long as you get a good actor, you just gain something else different. Has the repertory model been explored much in Australia? I know the most recent one was probably Robin Nevin's experiment at the Sydney Theatre Company. But have well, we had just many a... repertory companies? Not really. Why doesn't no. it work in Australia? Where, of course, it's a big thing in... in uh, the UK. But that's repertory as opposed to repertoire, I think. Right, okay. Uh, I suppose we were like the opera the thing. We always did the two plays. Yeah. Uh, until I think the last, the first time we didn't was when I did Glass Menagerie in 1978 uh, because the play we wanted to do with it had such a big cast, Death of a Salesman, and so that was, going, that was decided we'd do a set season of Menagerie and then uh, follow with um, Death of a Salesman. Uh, but Menagerie was such a hit that we got a can of Death of a Salesman and extended uh, Menagerie for eight weeks instead of... See, we fell into the trap of doing a quick four weeks as well. Um, but uh, luckily that's... And that is the play, I suppose, the, or production, that opened a lot of doors for me, personally. As a director? Yes, uh, Years after I'd started, uh, see, it doesn't happen overnight. No, no, it doesn't. No. Um, it's um, and it's because I, I stripped everything away, which is what I like doing. Uh, if I, I think we all end up having a style, and my style, if anything, is less is more. Uh, when you can put all your effort into great performances, performers, I always have. A lot of lighting, I suppose, and a lot of music, which someone pointed out to me. You go, yes, I do. I like, but I don't, uh, I like getting rid of anything that's in the way of the communion between the audience and the actor. Uh, And Glass Menagerie, uh, once I read an article about uh, where uh, Tennessee Williams was talking about a plastic theatre, and I thought, oh, Right. Uh, and then I saw the thing about all the slides. Every time I've ever seen the show, I've never seen any slides. And all I've ever seen is props everywhere and that girl crack on that phonograph. It's not really what the play's about. And, and so I thought, I'll put the slides back. Uh, and Because then I read that they hadn't used the slides because the slide projector uh, broke down at the opening performance in Chicago. And, so, and they realised they didn't need it. So... And sure, I didn't use it the way Tennessee Williams wanted it. Every time it gets emotional is when he used to slide, put a slide up so, uh, to pull back from the emotion. I thought, I'm doing this for school children. I'm not game enough to pull back from yes. So I dimmed slides think, in and dimmed yeah. them out. But I did e- use them all. Expressionistic yes. playwright. Where yeah. are the snows yeah. was one slide, is the one I remember. And then the next slide is where are the snows of yesteryear. Um... What, what what about the demise of the Actors' Company? Why, why did that finish up? Because there's only so long yeah. that you can do it without the money coming through. Yeah. Uh, and the effort uh, of trying to get funding, 
We only ever got funding for one season, the American season. And it was because we had someone from the Australia Castle in the player. Am right. I allowed to say that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, 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 and that allowed us to get money. It's usually the way, isn't it? And it's, it's what Hayes Gordon used, uh, used to say uh, when he ran the ensemble. It takes too much effort to actually have to do all that paperwork. And there's no guarantee you're going to get the money anyway. And there just comes a time, and because, because Menagerie had opened doors for me, I just, um, suddenly I was getting offers of work, and uh, like when, uh, we were doing a production of Cabaret, and I, we'd, by then we'd started a thing where we would guarantee $20. Such a silly amount of money now, doesn't it? To the cast each week, and then uh, the percentage of the door after that. But I, I was going away to the, to the country uh, interviewing all these theatre companies in the Central West about setting up a regional theatre there, uh, and um, which is one of the jobs that came about because of menagerie. And um, I was giving my salary over to the theatre to pay that $20. And this is truly silly. Uh, I'm getting nothing out of this, and, there's, and you can't... It was hard running the company from a distance. Um, and also, I'd, uh, like, uh, when I was uh, still at the actor's company, uh, John Clark invited me to take over a production of Spring Awakening at NIDA, uh, and, which is fabulous. I mean, fabulous play. Uh, not the musical. A longboard musical. Uh, and um, that... Um, I was doing all the stuff for the actors' company until one o'clock, jumping in a cab, racing out to NIDA to do that and keeping those children long past what they were supposed to be doing. Uh, I mean, and I was such a, a, a silly person. I'd go, oh, God, those poor starving uh, little students. Uh, I'd give someone money and say, go and, go and get 35 hamburgers or something. Uh, because I was keeping them 10, 10 or 11 at night. Right. Uh, but they were having a good time, and I was too. And so. you were working with resources that yes. you probably didn't necessarily have. Well, yes, yeah, Stephen yeah. Curtis is a designer. Yeah. Um, just wonderful, just wonderful. What are the qualities you need to be an effective director? I always say it's the closest I'll get to parenting. Right. Um, that you don't want to tell a child how to do it, you only want to offer a child, there's option one, option two, option three, or what other options, but there's cause and result. Uh, and I always say that the opening night is the 21st birthday party, and you just hope to God you turn out a human being who can stand on their own two feet and make you sober out. Terrific. It's, and it's to have a great eye. Yep. And I always say to an actor, I'm only your audience eye until your audience gets here. Because uh, I stopped doing line readings. Oh, I was working in Melbourne, and I did a, uh, a community production of Where's Charlie. There was a boy in that who'd never been on stage before, playing an absent-minded professor, not getting any of the gags. And someone in the car said, "Show him how to do it," and I did. They all thought it was hysterical because that was my because being so scrawny, uh, I played a lot of absent-minded type professors' roles when I was growing up. Um, and it was even worse then for him because he couldn't do what I'd done. Mm. Uh, and I thought, I will never give a line reading That's a good lesson. Again. Good lesson. Never. Uh, are you good at letting go? I mean, oh, once yes. the 21st birthday party happens, are you able to walk away and leave it in the hands of the, the company? No. No? Well, I am in the... I'm I lo- but I like all your work's finished. Then, no, hasn't it? the joy for me is watching the growth. Right. So I love being there. I will not interfere, uh, and I will probably only give notes if you ask me about something. You want to see your child grow? Yes. Yeah. And I, ha- I have bet with Gypsy. I'm there for the half hour. You're going to be there oh, yeah. at every performance. Yes. Uh, not necessarily front row yeah. centre, but you'll be there watching and just. And uh, see, I will never go backstage. Uh, If I went backstage, I would have to get permission of the stage manager because I really do hand over to the child. Uh, But I'm there... Because a couple of times when I I have done that thing of going away, you come back and you go, 
God, there are a lot of alterations. I don't recognise this production at all. Uh, because other people don't realise why you and that performer have decided on that. Uh, and it's why uh, a couple of times when I've had to restage my own productions, like play it against Sam and I had to restage it for the Adelaide Festival Centre. And just, I mean, you get... Uh, that bit's not working, and yet, mm, yes, because it was you creating it off what the actor brought to the table. I'm much more interested in what the actor brings to the table. So it's very hard to sort of say, oh, uh, like that American thing where you come out and say, oh, stand there, move on that line, raise your hand on that bit, and you go, hmm, that's harder for the actor to do. Yes, it's not organic. No, it's yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I do like organic theatre. Mm. I love talking to you. I mean, the sawdust pumps through your veins. You are so... Not, not literally. No, blood. Uh, <laughs> you're so passionate. Um, did you, have you had a good time? Or was it, that was easy, wasn't I it? Yeah. It was easy. Yeah. Um, so there you go. What's, I know. Once I get you started... I didn't have started, to go uh, to a lot of places. That's fine. No, you didn't. Thanks, Rodney. My pleasure. Thank you, Peter. Wasn't that terrific? Always something new to learn on stages. If you enjoyed this conversation, you're bound to enjoy many more from the stages archive. You'll find conversations with Tony Lamont, Geraldine Turner and Andrew McFarlane, just to name a few. All with fascinating tales across all stages. Find the podcast on Wooshka or in iTunes or Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe so that you may receive each new episode as it drops. And takes the time to write and review the podcast, please. It helps us reach a broader audience and share these great conversations. I'm Peter Ayers, and you've been listening to Stages.